Proverbs 17:15 says, "He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord." Now, I've mentioned this this verse in previous episodes, but does God justify the wicked? Yes. Does God condemn the righteous? Well, was Jesus righteous? Yes. Was Jesus condemned as a guilty sinner on the cross? How is this not a problem? Welcome to another episode of Bear Christianity. You can always email me, bearchristianity at gmail.com, or I'm on Instagram at the real bear. Martin. Um, so let's get right back into the episode. Now, the, the verse I mentioned at the very beginning is it presents what's called sometimes like the divine problem or the divine dilemma. Um, so let me read it again. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Now, the, so the, the problem would be, and, and the problem I'm using in quotes, obviously, eventually, the, you know, God, God does not have a problem with his, his own um, standards of justice and things like that. So the, the problem, though, in, in air quotes, is that God does justify the wicked and he does condemn the righteous. And so uh, I've talked about the first problem. How do, we, how do we get around the first problem? What's the answer? that God is justifying the wicked, well, that is through our propitiation, Jesus Christ. So today, I'm talking about the second part of that verse. He who condemns the righteous is an abomination to the Lord. So just to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about here, if we're thinking about this this concept of God's courtroom, where God the Father is the judge, and we are the guilty sinner, okay? So God it, it, he justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And, and justification means that God declares us legally righteous. So we are a guilty sinner, but in God's courtroom, his legal declaration is that we are righteous in his sight. And, and it's not our own righteousness. It is the righteousness or perfection of Jesus Christ that is given to us. And God puts forward Jesus Christ as the propitiation for our sin. That means that the wrath of God, the justice of God towards sin is dealt with in Jesus Christ. And that happens on the cross where the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus Christ. The wrath of God for the sins that you and I have committed and the sins of all those who have faith in Jesus Christ for their forgiveness of sin all those all that punishment all that wrath is placed on Jesus Christ on the cross and that's why God can justify the wicked sinner because of Jesus Christ our propitiation so that's the first part the second part and, and I've talked about all that in previous episodes so check those out but the second part is he who condemns the righteous is an abomination to the Lord so today that's what I want to talk about um, in in a courtroom, the judge can say, "Okay, I'm going to justify this guilty sinner, and let me walk out in the lobby and find a a law abiding citizen, and just I'll just put the 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 punishment on them. I'll make them pay the fine, uh, you know. So that also would be unjust, all right. And so that that's kind of the um, the issue here that I'm bringing up. 
So uh, Romans 8, 3 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he, that is God, condemned sin in the flesh. Now, Jesus became flesh so that we could be forgiven. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's talking about Jesus. He, Jesus was made to be sin who knew no sin. He, he, was, he did not sin himself. He took on the punishment for sin. So that in him, that is in Jesus Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So it is very clear in Scripture that we are guilty and unrighteous, and it's also clear in Scripture that Jesus is innocent and perfectly righteous. Um, he, is, he is the spotless Lamb of God. He is the perfect sacrifice. And our sin was laid on Jesus. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about Jesus, and again, it's very clear that our sin is placed on him. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 7 says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So here's the the, the second part, the divine uh, problem or dilemma. How does God not violate his own law? You can't just go out and pick somebody innocent and make them pay for the sins of the guilty. And you probably already recognize the answer here. The answer is that Jesus voluntarily lays down his life. And all of these episodes are, are about the glory of God. So just hang with me and, and, and I'll get there towards the end. All right. So Jesus voluntarily lays down his life. This is so, so clear in John 10 verses 11 through 18. So it's a, a lengthy passage to quote from here, but it's just crystal clear. I almost don't, I almost could just play the, the outro music at the end of this verse. Um, John 10, 11 through 18 says, I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus talking, by the way. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. 
So God the Father did not pick an unwilling sacrifice. Jesus willingly laid down his life to save us. And this was done on his own authority. Now, and and the only one who is truly God has life. So Jesus is truly God. He is, like I said last episode, he is the God-man. So we do not, you and I do not have life in and of ourselves. Our life comes from God. He must sustain our every breath. But Jesus, because he is fully God, has life in himself. He he says, I, I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. So Jesus has life in himself, okay? Uh, John 1, 4 says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life, and then no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the one who willingly lays down his life to save us. Uh, A very popular um, little dialogue, little, you know, make-believe dialogue called The Father's Bargain was written in the 1600s by John Flavel. And so uh, let me let me read this here. Again, it was written in the 1600s, so some of the language you'll, you'll recognize as being uh, written from a long, long time ago. But um, basically, John Flavel, to try to illustrate um, an aspect of Jesus being uh, willingly laying down his life to pay for our sin, he wrote this little dialogue between God the Father and God the Son, all right? And again, it's called The Father's Bargain, and you can you can find this uh, online in lots of different places if you, if you wanted to save it and make it part of your notes. But um, here it is. God the Father speaks, My son, here is a company of poor, miserable souls that have utterly undone themselves and now lie open to my justice. Justice demands satisfaction for them, or will satisfy itself in the eternal ruin of them. What shall be done for these souls? And thus Christ answers, O my Father, such is my love to and pity for them, that rather than they shall perish eternally, I will be responsible for them as their surety. Bring in all thy bills, that I may see what they owe thee. Lord, bring them all in, that there may be no after-reckonings with them. At my hand shalt thou require it. I will rather choose to suffer thy wrath than they should suffer it. Upon me, my father, upon me be all their debt. And the father answers, But, my son, if thou undertake for them, thou must reckon to pay the last might. Expect no abatements. Uh, that, that word abatements there. God, God the father says, expect no um, shortcuts, no deals. All right? Uh, expect no abatements. My, uh, essentially, God is saying, my full wrath will be upon you. And then back to the quote here, he says, if I spare them, I will not spare thee. The son replies, content, father, let it be so. Charge it all upon me. I am able to discharge it. And though it prove a kind of undoing to me, though it impoverish all my riches, empty all my treasures, for so indeed it did. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. Jesus says, yet I am content to undertake it. So that's the Father's Bargain written by John Flavel, beautiful uh, picture of, of what Christ did for us. Now, in kind of 
uh, wrapping this up and, and bringing it all together, again, I've been focusing on the glory of God in these last several episodes, and the glory of God is the display of His attributes. Who God truly is, when we see His glory, we, we get an aspect of, of the, the nature and character of God. We, we, we see deeper who God truly is when we see His glory. All right. Um, now, I mentioned earlier that the purpose of Jesus becoming a man so that we could be it was so that we could be forgiven. Jesus had to be the God Man in order to be the proper sacrifice for our sin. Uh, that that is true. That is the purpose that Jesus became a man. But there's actually there's a deeper purpose. What is God's ultimate purpose in saving men and women from their sin? What is the ultimate purpose of the gospel? What is the ultimate purpose of of all creation, for that matter? The ultimate purpose for all things is for the glory of God. So Jesus became a man to save us from our sin and to be our propitiation, but ultimately Jesus became a man for the glory of God. John 1.14 says, and the word, that is Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So in Jesus' death on the cross, we learn about God. The qualities we see in Jesus, we can apply to the Godhead. So in John 14, 6 through 9, I've, I've already quoted the, f- the first verse here. It says, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So we cannot split up God the Father and Jesus Christ as if God the Father is the angry and unapproachable God uh, and Jesus is the loving one. No, the character of Jesus, the, the, his, the attributes we see in Jesus Christ, that can be said of God the Father also. So Jesus Christ becomes a man, takes on the punishment for sin to display the glory of God, who God truly is. So now let me let me make sure I'm being really clear here. God the Father did not become a man and die on the cross for our sins. That was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Now, but that does not mean that Jesus is the loving one and God the Father is the angry one. No, what the Bible teaches us is that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. That's Hebrews 1. Uh, Jesus just said in John 14, if you have seen me, if you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. So the attributes or character traits of Jesus are the same as God the Father. Jesus shows us God the Father. And so in Jesus becoming a man and laying down his life, we see God. We see God's holiness. We see his grace. We see his sovereignty. We see that God is always working, even in seemingly the darkest of situations. All of that can be seen uh, on the cross of Jesus Christ and and in the gospel. We see all of that. And so this is our creator. This is the God who calls us to himself. This is the God who gives uh, gives our lives purpose. 
So in application, how can we glorify God? Well, obviously we can proclaim this gospel to others and showing them the glory of God in the gospel, teaching them more about who God truly is. But also as image bearers of God, we can show them something of the glory of God in the way that we live and treat others. And so Jesus, just just a chapter after, um, and, and in the same night, in the same dis- discussion with his disciples the night before he's crucified, in John 15, verses 12 through 13, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 